0: Great to have you guys in today. Back again with another podcast, number three. So, if you were to run an MLS team, an NHL team, NBA, NFL, MLB, whatever it is, right? If you were in a crucial moment, if you were in the NBA finals and it was fourth quarter, five seconds left, you, this is a must make basket. You wouldn't ask Ben Simmons to shoot a three. You wouldn't ask a fullback to run a five-yard carry for a touchdown in the Super Bowl either. So why would the Dodgers put Clayton Kershaw in in the eighth inning? I have no idea. Now, I don't blame Clayton Kershaw for this. I blame the Dodgers for this. Obviously, Clayton Kershaw has not been a great postseason pitcher. So why even put him in that position? This is what happens when you do do that. And this is the result of putting him in in the eighth inning.
1: Kershaw's back out there to start the eighth. Rendon in the air to left. Taylor goes back to the wall, and it's gone! Anthony Rendon, a leadoff homer in the eighth. And here's Juan Soto.
0: In the air to deep right center field, and there she goes! We are tied! So, you had starter Clayton Kershaw, who has never really been anything special in the postseason, switch his role to become a closer. In the most crucial moment of the season, you ask Clayton Kershaw, a starter, to become a closer. Now, that doesn't make any sense to me. Baseball is a lot different than any other sport. Really, you can't ask a starter to be a closer or vice versa because Pitchers are specialized. You have a starter, you have middle relief, long relief, setup, up um, closers, and they're all specialized, right? In the NBA, LeBron can be a point guard, small forward. Shoot, he can play anything. It's different in the in the major in Major League Baseball because pitchers are already so specialized, and the Dodgers really have no problem at pitching at all. So it just doesn't make sense to me why they would put a guy who is almost a no-show in the postseason and is also not a closer in that position. So the Dodgers set Clayton Kershaw up to fail, which I don't blame it on Kershaw. I just blame it on the management of the Dodgers that in the most crucial moment of their season and of their postseason, they put in Clayton Kershaw on the eighth inning and he gets rocked. to, To almost no surprise of anyone watching that game he gets rocked. Bullpen is fine. They they were able to make it through the series, and they had guys available who were specialized to be either closer or late relief pitching. So why even put Kershaw in that position? Why even waste his time? Waste your time as a Dodgers coach or manager, and waste Kershaw's time, and even make him look bad in front of all of the fans? Like, why would you do that? The Dodgers had no problem at pitching. They were fine at pitching, but they brought in Clayton Kershaw as a closer. Pitchers don't normally do that unless it's literally the last resort. If it's literally the last thing that they can do, they will put a pitcher in into the game as a closer. But the Dodgers had guys available who weren't doing that badly in the, in the postseason anyway. So why even make that decision? Historically, Clayton Kershaw, and now I know that, Ker- that Kershaw is a great pitcher in the regular season I know he's great okay he's good but his post his postseason ERA after the 6th inning is upwards to nearly 12 earned runs you know his earned run average is up to 12 which is baffling to me why if you look if you look at the the data you look at everything as a coach as an owner as anything to do with a baseball team and you see that why would you even Consider putting him in, if his track record is already abysmal, why waste your time and why waste his time? Why waste the fan? Why even? Why would you even consider putting him in, if his ERA is upwards to twelve? What is? What I don't I don't understand. Now I'm glad the Dodgers lost because I think that it makes it more interesting now the postseason because there's a lot of teams that came out of the woodwork late in the late year. But still, the Dodgers poorly run, poorly run. To continue, they had Walker Bueller in the game, the starter. He throws absolute gas. I mean, he, he throws hard, right? Kershaw throws a little bit softer, 89 to 92 range. Walker Bueller can get it up there up to like 96, 94. So when Kershaw came in, he was already in a bad spot. There's already things going against him. After the sixth inning, he's a terrible pitcher. Postseason, terrible pitcher, and he battles with that in his mind. Pitchers do that all the time. But to the Nationals' batters, it must have felt like, it must have felt like dessert. It must have felt like, oh, this is easy. Okay, it's a little easier to to see. So the Nationals' batters must have just been having a field day up to bat, right? Listen, I'm not dumb. I know that MLB managers are pretty much puppets of the owners at this point because analytics is so big in the game of baseball. But last year in the World Series, ob- obviously the Boston Red Sox nerds were better than the Dodgers nerds and this year the Dodgers nerds were completely right. Maybe 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 they were right last year but the Dodgers owners and managers didn't want to listen. Clayton Kershaw is a terrible pitcher in the postseason. Period, right? They have so much, so much analytics, so much data, so much time and energy spent into getting the best team onto the field, and you put a pitcher who statistically, analytically, is not efficient in the postseason after the sixth inning, and you still put him in. So to me, it's almost like the nerds are doing exactly what they have to do. They're just they're doing what they have to do, getting the numbers, but the managers and the owners don't understand. That like they don't understand that the numbers are not lying, that Clayton Kershaw is not a good pitcher after the sixth inning in the postseason. He is om- he's not good as a pitcher in the postseason at all. Regular season, different story. But these analytics don't lie. Numbers don't lie, facts don't lie. So why even waste your time putting Clayton Kershaw in the game? Your season's on the line. Your season's on the line in this game. And you put a pitcher in who Statistically has one of the worst ERAs on your team in the postseason. It doesn't make any sense to me. Does it? The numbers are in front of you. You have all the facts in front of you. And you just don't even look at it. Oh, it's Kershaw. He'll be fine. What? Clayton Kershaw has never shown that he's great in the postseason. Okay, He's a great pitcher in the regular season. I will, I will not doubt that. I will not doubt that he's dominant in the regular season. But come October? Come on. He's, he's falling off in October. October, he's running, he's running low. He's running on empty in October. Every pitcher in the major leagues is, okay? Baseball's a grind, but stats don't lie. Analytics don't lie. So the Dodgers nerds are doing exactly what they're supposed to do. The owners are the ones who are messing it up. We ask NFL coaches and NBA coaches to babysit, draw plays, figure out, Personalities and stuff make make it all work. Make the teams work. Get good players on the court or on the field. We make NFL and NBA play and NBA coaches do more with their personnel, the media, all this other stuff, all this other logistical coaching stuff, more than MLB coaches. MLB coaches have almost been not run out of the building, but analytics should take precedence over MLB coaches and. I don't personally think that it should happen like that, but it's happening that you know owners are seeing these statistics and they're saying, oh, well, you know, whatever the lineup that the manager puts out, I'm going to make my own lineup and just tell them, listen, these are those analytics, statistics and stuff, and this is the lineup we're going to put out today. Now, NBA coaches, NBA, NFL coaches have to deal with a lot more than just a lineup. The media, attention, personalities, all that stuff. MLB managers have to just deal with pretty much now in, in this day and age, 2019, have to deal with arguing calls, key situations they have to deal with actually in games, they have to deal with that, which is a lot takes a lot more experience to be an MLB coach than I feel like it does in other sports, but I have to say, stats don't lie, so managers, coaches, don't overlook stats because most of the time they're true. If a guy is if a guy has a 12 ERA after the 6th inning in the postseason, chances are you shouldn't put him in the game because most likely he's going to do the same thing he would do, you know. So, to end this rant about the Dodgers and Clayton Kershaw, I like to just say that Clayton Kershaw is a great pitcher. I don't doubt that he's a great pitcher. It's great, but you can't overlook stats, especially in the major leagues, because analytics and stats are so important to a team's success now. In 2019, where everything is computer-generated, they have tons of stats on every player, they have stats that you didn't even know that mattered, right? They have every everything you can think of, they have a stat on a player. And for them to have Kershaw at all these stats, years of Picking up stats, picking up analytics, getting data. And they still put him in the game with the season on the line. The season on the line. This isn't game one. This is the season on the line, win or go home, and they blew it. Kershaw didn't blow anything. He just pitched the same way he would pitch whether or not um, this was any game. He pitched the same way that he would in any postseason game. But for the coaches, for the managers, for the owners not to understand that the stats don't lie, that these numbers are calculated through years of looking at uh, every year, postseason, regular season, everything, they don't lie, so Kershaw's not at fault, it's a Dodgers who at fault, Dodgers fans should be very angry at this, because a lot of Dodgers fans know, I mean, some of them are pretty stupid, but you see online, they're all yelling and screaming and stuff, but Honestly, the only person they should be mad at is the owner of the Dodgers, right? They 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 should be mad at the ownership of the Dodgers rather than Clayton Kershaw because they knew what was going to happen when Kershaw came in the game. Maybe a few of them were hopeful that it, it, he would turn things around, but stats don't lie. Facts don't lie, right? Although it would have been nice for Kershaw to... Oh, come out of this slump, you know, in the postseason, get the Dodgers a win, Cinderella story, happy ending, you know, all that stuff. Facts don't care about your feelings. Facts don't care if you want facts. Facts and stats don't care about anything. They are just looking objectively at a player's progression and stats and analytics. So, for the ownership to even think it was a good idea to put Clayton Kershaw on the game, is just beyond me they should all be fired they should all be fired the dodgers the dodgers team is filled with a lot of good players pitching is one of their weaknesses postseason pitching is a big weakness but you have guys you have guys who are meant to be closers who are meant to be long relief meant to be middle guys and you put clayton kershaw in the game when he has been Nothing but subpar. His whole career in the postseason, you put him in the game, over a guy who is from from college, and up, has been known as a specialty pitcher, a closer, a late relief, a setup. You didn't do any of that. You put Kershaw in the game and said, "Oh, good luck. We'll see. We'll see what happens. I guess." Come on, you knew it was going to happen. Kershaw has been nothing but pathetic. In the postseason. Pathetic. And you put him in the game. Season on the line. Season on the line. That, that would be exactly like if Brad Stevens asked, I don't know, Daniel Tice to hit a game-winning three-point shot with five seconds left. A lot of people who aren't from Boston would say, who the hell is Daniel Tice? Okay, Daniel Tice is the power forward for the Celtics, but he cannot shoot at all. I, I do not like him at all. I don't think he's a good shooter. But it'd be the same thing if... You know, Ben Simmons or whatever, who hit a 3-1 time in a game, the coach was just like, oh, okay, 5 seconds left, 4th quarter, finals on the line. Here you go, Ben. um Yeah, hit a 3-point shot at the buzzer, 5 seconds left, no pressure. I know you can't do it. I know you haven't been known to do this, but, you know, here, just, you know, why don't you go out and try? It's Game 7 of the finals. You know, why don't you just go out and try? It's the same thing. The same thing if they asked um, Rex Burkhead to go route down the sideline for a a Patriots Super Bowl win it'd be the same thing if you were at the goal line and you asked your fullback to you know what don't power run it up the middle I'm actually going to pitch it to you as the outside and yeah just try to you know fullbacks are not fast generally they're not fast so it'd be like that Super Bowl on the line two seconds left in the game you say oh you know what we're going to pitch it to the outside of my fullback and see what happens most likely he's going to get tackled at the two-yard line, right? You don't ask players who've, who don't normally do the job well to do things well when they're not, statistically, when they're not built for that moment. So why Clayton Kershaw went out in the eighth inning to pitch makes no sense to me at all. They have enough statistics, they have enough analytics on Clayton Kershaw, and any player for that matter, to know their strengths and weaknesses. Obviously, Kershaw's weakness is postseason as a whole. So, why would you even consider putting him in? It's different for a guy like Chris Sale or, you know, a guy like, you know, another pitcher in the major leagues, Max Scherzer or whatever, any pitcher. It's different for them because they don't have a long standing track record of being pathetic in the postseason. You could put Chris Sale in in the seventh inning, you could put Max Scherzer in the seventh inning. They'd be fine, probably. They would be fine. But for a guy like Kershaw, who is even pathetic as a starter in the postseason, come on, come on. David Price, for example, pathetic in the postseason. You know, stats don't lie. Stats don't lie about that. The main job of a major league coach is just to not screw up the bullpen. They have the lineup handed to them every day, probably. The owner just and the nerds figure out a lineup that has the best chance of them winning. They hand it to the manager. Manager, you know, does whatever he wants. Puts it on the board, whatever. Players know. His only job is to not mess up the bullpen. Don't mess up don't mess up the bullpen. Don't put random guys in, you know, that's on the manager. That's on the manager. Don't mess up the bullpen. Don't do anything stupid to mess up the bullpen because Statistically, we have the best team on the field every every game. The best team on the field every game. The only thing you have to do, figure out the bullpen. Don't mess it up. Don't mess up the bullpen. If you mess up the bullpen, we, we lose games. We lose big games. Don't mess up the bullpen. That's the main thing that every coach in the major leagues, that's the main job of them. They don't really do much anymore because computer statistics, data has taken over the league, which we can get into that later, but the only really the only job actually they have two jobs one job is to take care of the bullpen don't mess it up second job argue calls argue calls fight for your players second one fight for your players you you don't see coaches like writing up a lineup this and that like they don't really make changes that much you don't you, you ever watch a major league baseball game they don't make changes during games because the owner put out a lineup and was like this is the best chance we got to win don't mess up the bullpen have a game. Managers, Just they, they just cannot mess up the bullpen. That's the main thing. You have everything else in front of you. Best hitters you have, best fielders you have. Don't mess up the bullpen. Now, to be fair, the, the Dodgers' bullpen was okay in the postseason. They were okay. But Dave Roberts, he messed it up. This is Dave Roberts after the game.
1: It's not about analytics, it's about he's one of the best pitchers in the game, and for him to go out there and throw four pitches and to go back out there and get two hitters, um, I felt really good about that. It's more of, I don't think it was an analytic question, you know, it's it's a guy that I believe and I trust, and, um, you know, it didn't work out.
0: Now, no matter if you thought it was analytics or not, I mean, every Major League Baseball team is built on analytics. They have... Six or seven, probably, like, genius nerds who study up on these players, do a ton of statistics on these players. They research a ton of possible scenarios and data and everything. So that's not really an excuse. And also, the Dodgers never overpay for guys. They never over, you know, they never do 10-year deals, 13-year deals. They'd rather have guys for a short amount of time who can produce in that short amount of time. They're built on analytics. The Dodgers are built on analytics from the ground up. And I'm going back to my point where you can't go you can't go against analytics. You can't go against numbers. No matter how how hard you try to say, you know, I don't agree with this these numbers, these stats. I I trust this player in this situation. Well, to be honest, Dave Roberts stats don't lie. So to be honest, this is on you after the game, you could have, you could have very easily said, you know, we messed up, we messed up I you know I think that uh, analytically it was a bad decision. I mean probably, you would never hear him say that, but honestly, maybe he'd take a little more credit to that to that loss, but honestly, you'd say you trust, I trust this guy. I'd really trust him. you really trust a guy with a 12 ERA after the sixth inning in the postseason. You really trust that guy, Dave Roberts? You really, you really trust him? Tell that to all the, the Dodgers fans in left field who are diehard Dodgers fans, who go to every game probably. They wouldn't have put Kershaw in the game. They would have put a regular pitcher, a closer. They, they wouldn't have put Kershaw in the game. Are you kidding me? I trust this guy. I bet everyone I bet every Dodgers fan trusts Kershaw in the regular season. Come postseason, they know for a fact that, okay, we gotta give him we, we, we can give them a game. We can give the opponent a game because we know that Kershaw is pitching in the postseason that game. You're gonna put Kershaw back in the game. You're gonna not back in the game. You're gonna put Kershaw in the game when you know that he's probably gonna fail. Statistically, he's gonna fail after the sixth inning a north of a twelve ERA. That's insane. That's it's crazy. Oh, but I trust him. I trust this guy. I really think that he would I really think that he could have done it, you know. I really trust this guy in this situation. Well, it's I don't really care if you if you trust him as an owner, as a you know, as a as a director of baseball operations, whatever, how however however high you want to go in the, the ownership of the Dodgers or any team, they're gonna look at Dave Roberts the next day in work and they're gonna say, Dude, we had all the statistics for you. All you had to do was not mess up this bullpen. Don't mess up this game for us. And what do you do? You put in a pitcher who is pathetic, pathetic in the postseason, by no means is good in the postseason. You want to put him into the game. The crucial moment of your season rides on this game. And you're going to put a pitcher who has an ERA of 12 after the sixth inning in a postseason game, you're gonna put the guy, you're gonna put in this guy that you trust, that you really trust. Come on, come on, Dave. You're a Red Sox guy. I love you. I love you had that steal in the, in the World Series. I mean, not the World Series, the game to get us to the World Series in O in 04, but Dave, dude, come on. The owner, the owner must must have just been going wild last night. The ownership of the Dodgers must have been going crazy. Fans must have been going crazy. Why why the he why are you putting Kershaw in this position? You know what's gonna happen. You know what's gonna happen. He's gonna get in his head again. Which honestly, Kershaw, I don't really blame you that much. You struggled in the postseason. You know you have every right to be nervous, but to be honest, Kershaw, sometimes I think that you're a little soft. But that's not here, that's neither here nor there. Anyway, you're gonna put Kershaw in the game when Statistically, you know, you know what's gonna happen, and it, and it happens right in front of your eyes. Come on, Dave, why, why, why even go through that? Now, I'm I'm no manager. I'm never gonna sit here and say that I'm a, 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 a could be a great manager, but I know that great managers and great coaches don't put players in positions that they're not used to. A good manager or a good coach would never ask a player who's not used to doing something to put him in that crucial moment, the crucial role and say, Oh, you know, here you go. This is, this, this is your moment. Now you've never been here before, but you know, here you go. Come on. It's pretty, it's pretty obvious that what he did was a mistake that he made a mistake. He, he put Kershaw on the game and Kershaw did exactly what he was going to do anyway. I mean, so this is a Dave Roberts big decision, big, big, this is just a, bad decision by dave roberts i think that this is a huge mistake this is why they lost so in the nfl i would consider wide receivers flashy wide receivers flashy tight ends you know maybe a flashing running back in there too that's considered icing in my opinion you know the o-line old, the old defensive line and quarterback a quarterback you need so all defensive line offensive line and quarterback would be the cake the icing cannot save a terrible cake, right? The cake can save a terrible icing if if you really messed up the icing, people can just scrape it off and just eat the cake. but no one's just gonna eat regular icing. no one's just gonna like eat icing out the out of the container. that's unhealthy right and it's unhealthy for a young quarterback such as Baker Mayfield to have the icing overtake the cake right. Have to have Odell as the icing to some sort of hinder the cake's taste right you can't scrape Odell off you can 't just keep him away, but consider a trade possibly because the cake the cake is already pretty bad the browns cake is bad right the icing the icing's a lot the icing's better than the cake, but the icing cannot save the cake because no one's just going to want to eat regular icing. So the Browns have problems at offensive line. Quarterback Baker Mayfield is you know, not a leader, has problems at times containing himself when talking to the media. Defensive line is okay. Miles Garrett is a, some promising guys on the other side of the football. But Odell cannot save this team. Now, icing makes the cake better, of course. Of course, people would rather have a cake with icing than just a regular cake, right? Because it's more entertaining. It's more, it's more fun, right? If you just had a cake, if someone just said, oh, I made a cake, you would expect icing, right? A cake with with icing and perfect cake, great icing, some other decorations on the side, That's that's sort of like the Patriots. They have a great everything. They have great... Great O-line, not so great now, but great quarterback, which saves that part of the cake. The icing is the running backs, the wide receivers, the other guys, the defensive backs. The cherry on top is just the great coaching, great ownership, right? The Browns have none of that. The Browns just have icing at this point. They just have guys who are flashy and guys who, you know, try to save the cake, but can't really. They're not, they're not talented enough to save the whole cake. When you're making a cake, right? I I I'm not a big chef or anything. I'm not a big cake guy. I don't really make cakes a lot, but you know, you figure out the cake before you figure out the icing, right? You don't want to do too much at once. You figure out the cake, you make the cake, and then you can go buy icing. You can then you can go buy sprinkles or, you know, whatever fruit, whatever you want to put on your cake. But the cake comes first. If you have a terrible cake, the icing doesn't matter. The icing's not going to save it. So if you have a terrible cake, if you have a terrible offensive line, a terrible quarterback, not, Baker's not terrible, but if you don't have the the sustenance in that cake, if you don't have the, the good ingredients in that cake, the icing can't save it. Nothing can save it. The cake's just going to be bad. The team will be bad, right? And, of course, the Browns also have Freddie Kitchens, who is just perfect for the media in Cleveland. Perfect. Gives perfect answers, right? Says... The, the funniest thing sometimes, right? Yesterday he was asked about his his icing. He was asked about Odell, about, well, why, why isn't he getting a lot of targets? Why isn't he getting a lot of receptions? And this is Freddie Cushions had a great response. I'll play it for you right now. Why
1: isn't he getting targeted more? Um, we have plays. Uh, we have reads to go through. Coverage dictates that. Um, you know, there's several reasons, but... You know, I think we threw the ball 24 times the other night and he got targeted six times.
0: So, uh, you know, I don't know what the magic number is. I don't-, <laughs> I don't think Odell's bad by any stretch, but I think Odell's more icing, you know, he's he's more extra, you know, right? He's like the he's like a a Corvette or a Ferrari, right? He's like in the last podcast I I mentioned how the Browns household would be, you know, with a, a household with a baby, a dog, a Ferrari, a pool, a trampoline, all this, all this extra stuff, right? But I'd say that their house is, is terrible. They, the walls are bad. You know, they have no security system. Their stairs are breaking. But they have all this extra stuff to, to pretty much hide everyone from seeing that their their house is trash on the inside. On the outside, They've painted it up nice, they, they've got a nice car in the garage, they've got a nice dog, you know, they've got a young a, a young baby in you know Baker Mayfield, but the inside of the house is just terrible. You walk in and it's just a mess. No no internet, they have no internet. They, <laughs> they have no router, no internet, no walls, no stairs. The whole house is broken, right? But, oh, no one sees that. No one no one notices, oh, you know, why is Baker not throwing the ball a lot, you know, in games? Why is he usually on the ground? Bad security system. No offensive line. Oh, but, you know, he's got a—the They, the house still has a Ferrari, so I don't know. They They still drive that thing around. Well, they could trade that thing in. They could trade that in for, you know, better security system, better walls, better stairs, better infrastructure— but now nah, you know. I think. I think. I think we'll just leave. We'll leave the the shiny Ferrari out in the garage so everyone can see. Oh, you know, um, uh, this this is a pretty functional house. You know, this, you walk by, you say, oh wow, they got a Ferrari, they got a trampoline, they got a pool. Oh, this, is, this looks like a, this looks like a nice house. Yeah, if you ever walked in it, you'd realize that this house is is terrible. The Browns built their built their their new team from the outside in. They wanted the flashy stuff to mask the problems that they have. Their offensive line is a big problem. It's a big reason why they can't win games now. But they have a Ferrari and people are asking them, "Oh, you know, why don't you why don't you target Odell more? Why don't you do this? Why don't you It's almost like like the Browns fans and media are wondering like, "Well, what's what's the reason why they're not winning games? You know, what's the reason why they can't seem to to figure it out?" because they have a, they have a terrible offensive line they're it's it's just it's just awful like team, teams with bad offensive lines aren't can't be saved by a running back they can't the Dallas Cowboys have great offensive line Zeke does great Dak does great the whole team does great and everyone gets paid everyone gets paid because that offensive line is doing their job so everyone on offense looks a lot better everybody on the offensive side of the ball looks a lot better Dak looks a lot better. Zeke looks a lot better. Amari Cooper looks a lot better. Randall Cobb. Jason, everybody on that team looks a lot better. The Patriots, for example, have had great offensive lines in the past. They make Philip Dorsett look great. They make Tom Brady look almost godly. I think he is a god, right? He's a goat. They make Sonny Michel look great. They make all these running backs look great. They make you know, guys you've never heard of look great. Right? They make... The whole team looked great. So great teams have great security systems. They have great infrastructure. They're built from the ground, which is the offensive line, the defensive line. They have they have built from the trenches up. The Patriots aren't that flashy. They don't have that. They don't have a Ferrari. You know, they just have three cars, right? They have they don't they don't have one electric running back. They got three pretty good ones. They probably have, if I was going to say, they have probably a Mazda. You know, they have a Toyota Highlander, maybe. And, you know, they, you know, screw it. They have a Honda Pilot in there as well. Pretty average, safe cars, great market cars, great value, right? You know, and they have some pretty good wide receivers. Flash Gordon, don't worry about his name, Flash. Don't, don't worry about that. Because when he's in New England... He's totally different. He's not flashy. He just does what Bill asks, and gets the ball. Tom gives him the ball when he thinks it's good. Right, Flash Gordon is not anything flashy in New England. Neither is Edelman. Now Gronk was flashy, but Gronk was flashy because he was he was flashy and it worked because he was also he could also produce on the field. He could catch passes. He could do. He could. He was crazy for the Patriots. He was a little flashy, but it made the Patriots feel a little lighthearted. It made them feel like, all right, they're not that serious. You know, they have this guy Gronk. So it made, it made them feel like, all right, you know, Patriots can do it. I guess the whole league can do it. Well, now everyone in there, everyone's, getting, everyone's going out and getting three, wide, three running backs. You know, they got to do, oh, gosh, Patriots are doing this run by committee. You look at, you see the 49ers, you see the Eagles. You see teams now who are on the rise, Seahawks, teams who are on the rise, are thinking, well, you know, if the Patriots can do it, maybe we will think about doing it. So you notice how the Seahawks are doing great this year, the 49ers are doing great this year, the Eagles I'm not going to comment on because I'm not an Eagles fan. I don't care for the Eagles one bit. But anyway, teams who have moved on from traditional, all right, we need a good quarterback, a good running back, and a good wide receiver. Teams who have moved on from that are seeing more success than Teams like the Browns, who considered, well, if we put all our money into a Ferrari or into Odell, we our team's gonna look a lot better on paper. But don't, please, please, for the love of God, don't ask us to be good in the fourth quarter when Odell's tired, when Baker's tired, and we have no support in the offensive line, and Nick Chubb's trying to run the ball, but he can't because the four guys up front aren't that good. And it's hurting the Browns because the Browns are now all icing but no cake. They have essentially baited everyone, baited all Browns fans. They, they could have put cardboard and they could have slathered up icing on it. And fans were like, oh, that looks like a nice cake. You know, it looks like a great cake. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, they have no infrastructure. It's the same thing. Their house could be the most insane outside house you could ever see. They have a great car, great paintings, you know. But the second you walk in, you just see it's a mess. It's a mess. The Browns never win anything because the Browns don't understand that you're not you're not going to win with just one with one flashy guy. It's going to distract you. It's going to distract everyone from the reality that this team is not good because we can't seem to play well. In, late games because our guys are tired and our offensive line is sorry our offensive line is awful this isn't the nba right this is in the M- you, in the nba you need you need at least at least two at least two good players you know if you want to win a championship you need at least two two stars right every team's doing it now and it's smart because you follow a trend and it's going to work right not every team's going to win the finals but teams are going to have a chance Right, look at a team like the Clippers, Paul George and Kawhi probably gonna win the championship. You look at guys in the East next year when you have KD and Kyrie, you know, you still you pretty much still have Steph Curry and Clay Thompson, but now Clay Thompson is injured, so you have Steph Curry and D'Angelo Russell. Leagues nowadays are built on. They're built on some sort of thing where if one team is doing it and it's going well, why doesn't everyone just do it? The Warriors for years had it figured out. Okay, so we gotta we gotta pay we have to pay basically three guys big. Three guys big who we know are gonna produce and we'll make it to a few finals. They did that. KD, Steph, Clay. They had other guys, they had other pieces. They had the cake because they still they still had a good cake they still had Draymond Green. They had Andre Iguodala for a number of years. Heck, I'd even say they had Andrew Bogut, Okay? They had, they had guys who could fill those spots and who could be the cake. But they also had some good icing in there, too. Now, they had it figured out. Now teams are starting to think, well, I'd rather pay big for two guys and then have room for for more cake, for more... Guys who we can slip in. The Clippers are doing that perfectly. They have Kawhi and Paul George. Now, Kawhi, you can argue, is an icing and a cake. You're right. Paul George, the same thing. Good players in the NBA are icing and cake. But players in the NBA are more brands. So Kawhi and Paul George are what fans see. They're the faces of that team. Then you have guys like Pat Beverly, Lou Williams who are the icing, who are the backbone of the team, who you need to win. Montres Harrell, Landry Shamit. You have all these guys in this team who, if you don't have them, you're not going to win, right? If you don't have them, you're probably not going to win games. You need, you need the cake and the icing, right? In the NFL, you need cake more than you need icing. You'd rather have strong core, strong O-line, strong QB, strong D-line than have flashy wide receiver, flashy quarterback and no offensive line. So Browns ownership, please look around the league. Look at the teams who are doing well. Look who they have. The top the top 5 teams in this league have great offensive lines. Great offensive lines, great coaches, and they all have one thing in common. They don't overpay for one flashy piece right and i thought the dodgers were this too the dodgers don't overpay for stars they would get them for a year or two years and they just see how they work out the dodgers messed up the browns also messed up when they got odell because now now it's almost like they feel like they need odell but they don't they've gotten trapped like the giants got trapped the giants didn't need odell because they weren't winning with odell they just, they just needed a guy who could be their brand. They needed a guy who would get fans to the games, which is smart, but it's not going to win your games. It's just going to get more fans to the games. So if the Browns want to take an approach where they just want to make money and not win games, go right ahead keep Odell. But if you want to get players, you could give up Odell to a team, right? And in return, why not get a few offensive linemen? Why not get some strong defensive players? Why not get more cake? Give up some icing, okay? Give up a little icing, but in the end, Baker's going to become the icing, right? If you just get more cake, you get more cake. Soon enough, if you get a better offensive line, Baker's going to be gr- some great icing, and Nick Chubb will be some great icing, some great extra pieces. Baker right now has to be the cake. He has to be the cake. But if they get a strong offensive line... I can see Baker becoming the icing. I can see him being a flashy player who gets things done because the offensive line letting him do that, right? Just like in Dallas, Jerry Jones knows that he doesn't—he doesn't have to pay Dak because the offensive line is so good that you know you could put a, you could put a lot of quarterbacks in that position. If you had Baker for the Dallas Cowboys offensive line, Baker would be such a better quarterback statistically. He'd be the same guy, same player but it's a better protection system. You think we'd be talking about Dak Prescott if he was on the Browns and he was getting shelled every week? No. We'd consider him like a Marcus Mariota. We'd we'd lose sight of him in two years. We'd forget about him. Right? Baker needs an offensive line. The Browns need an offensive line. Teams who want to win need offensive line more than they need anything else. Thank you. So I'm back with the guru of football picks college and NFL um, the first few seconds of this se- uh, segment got cut out the audio got cut out so to fill you in the first pick was Texas and Oklahoma so when he starts off by saying Oklahoma just know that he's talking about Texas and Oklahoma so it should start off right now
1: Oklahoma which is 5-0 and in the Big 12 2-0 in this conference Texas is 4-1 and in the Big 12 and also 2-0 and in the conference. Uh, Texas' only loss is to a strong LSU team, and they lost that game 45-38. Uh, this game between Texas and Oklahoma is one of the greatest rivalries in college football. This is known as the Red River Rivalry because of the Red River that separates Oklahoma and Texas. Yeah. Uh, and the tradition of this game is, is it's played at the Cotton Bowl in, in Texas— Uh, This is just a real big-time game, this Oklahoma-Texas game. Uh, I expect it to be an electric game. Last year when they played, Texas won the game 48-45. to And I expect it to be a similar type game this year. You're dealing with two quarterbacks that can really put up big numbers with uh, Jalen Hurts with Oklahoma and Sam Ellinger uh, with Texas. Um, I think this is a must-watch game, and I think that it's going to come down to the last five minutes of the game. It's going to be A crazy ending, Uh, but I think Oklahoma is going to make a few more defensive plays, and I think they take the win. And my prediction for a score is Oklahoma forty-two, Texas thirty-eight. All
0: right, sounds good.
1: All right, and going to my next college game. uh, It's a matchup between the Michigan State Spartans and the Wisconsin Badgers. Wisconsin's a ten and a half point favorite, and the over and under is a forty point. Uh, over under. Michigan State's four and two overall. They're two and one in the Big Ten East. Um, and you got Wisconsin, who's five and zero, 2 and zero in the Big Ten West. Uh, you know, you're, you're dealing with a Big Ten battle, which is going on in Camp Randall, Camp Randall Stadium in Madison, Wisconsin. Wisconsin is the number eight team in the country, and could be the hottest team in, in college football right now. They have a running back, Jonathan Taylor, who is an absolute dude, and he's going to be playing on Sundays in the NFL in the future. Hmm. He's averaging 7.2 yards a carry, uh, and I think that he's going to have a big game, and I think Wisconsin continues their hot streak. I got them winning the game 34-20. to 20. All right.
0: And now the NFL?
1: NFL. My first NFL game is the Dallas Cowboys at the New York Jets. Mm-hmm. Um, you got a two and a three and two Dallas team against an zero and four Jets team. Uh, the Jets do have Sam Donald coming back. He's been cleared to play. Uh, he's been out for several weeks with with mono, um, and you know he's a promising young quarterback, and he certainly can change the tempo of the te- the Jet season. Uh, Dallas may be overlooking the Jets because they have a big game against the Philadelphia Eagles next week, next week so this could be like a trap game for the Cowboys with that said the Jets will be a much better team with Donald but not quite good enough to be the top NFL team in <laughs> Dallas so I have Dallas winning that game 24-16 to
0: and the next game?
1: the next game, like we talked about I like to talk about my New England Patriots every week and they're playing a Thursday night game against the New York Giants, uh, and that's going to be my next game that we're talking about. We got the Giants coming in at two and three, the Patriots are five and zero. Oh. A uh, couple little stats about Tom Brady and Bill Belichick playing on Thursday night games, uh, or Brady playing on Thursday night games. He's eleven and one as a starter playing on Thursday night games, mm. and his coach Belichick is nineteen and five. Versus rookie quarterbacks, which the Giants have uh, Daniel Jones, and he's twelve and zero at home versus rookie quarterbacks, and the Giants are playing in Gillette Stadium tonight. All right, Mm -hmm. so Daniel Jones for the Giants—he's a nice story. Unfortunately, eh, he's going to be without some (laughs) of his weapons. Right? He doesn't have Barkley. He doesn't have two of his best pass receivers in Sterling Shepard and Evan Engram. All right. And some people will argue that the Giants have the worst defense in the NFL. Some people. So you say what you want about Brady not having his offensive weapons and the old offensive line is struggling. But at the end of the night on Thursday, those that are doubting the Patriots are going to be doubting a 6-0 team mm. because they're going to win this game. <laughs> uh, and just imagine how good they're going to be going forward when Dorsett finally gets healthy. When Burkhead finally gets healthy, when Julian Edelman gets to 100%, and then the best offensive line coach in the history of football, Dante Mm Scarnecchia, will eventually figure this out, and he'll get that offensive line playing at a championship level. So New England Patriots 35, the New York Giants
0: 10. Alright, one more thing before you go. So in the news, there's a lot of rumors about Antonio Brown wanting to come back to the Patriots. Uh, What's your take on the whole situation?
1: Garbage. Never happened. They gave him a chance. They sat him down. They told him, this is how it's going to be around here. This is how we act. This is how things are done. He had his chance. Didn't work out. New England Patriots don't take him back.
0: All right. Thanks again for another good week of picks. Good luck. All
1: right. Good luck. Go Pats.
0: So let's just shift to this. So Zion Williamson has played three NBA games, a few preseason games, few summer league games and he's already a star in my opinion he's already a star he has and he's brought in me to you know to watch the pelicans the pelicans right not even anthony davis could make me watch the pelicans zion is a star now zion had 29 points yesterday and now we're not gonna you wouldn't expect zion to hit a three or hit a jumper you know late in a game Zion brings something else to the NBA, which you know, is something that people have seen before, but he's bringing something that is saying, well, I can score 29 points by driving in and dunking and laying it up and drawing contact, and I can score 29 points, and also I can play a little defense too. I can also bring more people to watch my game now, Zion had it made for him to become a star. He had the best coach in college basketball, Mike Krzyzewski, one of the best shoe brands, Jordan, $90 million contract. He's also got the best vertical that Duke has ever seen, the league will ever see, in my opinion. Zion has star qualities, which not even he can contain. He's the one of the nicest kids I've ever seen in an interview, very humble, very respectful, Zion knows that he doesn't have to be a tough guy. He doesn't have to be, you know, the chosen one or the king. He can just be Zion. He can just be the freak Zion that that people were watching when, you know, when he was playing in high school, dunk compilations on YouTube. He can just be that same funny guy. He's still a star, but he's a star that everyone will like. He's not a star that is controversial. He's not a star where oh, you either like this guy, you hate this You can't hate Zion, no matter how hard you try. There's nothing you can hate about Zion. Zion is just, Zion should be called the kid because literally he's just a kid who wants to play basketball, who wants to dunk the basketball, who wants to block shots, who wants to run up and down the floor. He's a kid who wants to play. He's a kid who wants to play. Now, now I've never met Zion, right, but Watching him in interviews, watching him in practices, and when he played at Duke when he was in high school, Zion plays the game light. He plays the game with light, no pressure, no just. He goes out there, does what he has to do. Zion's a star. Zion gets, is going to get people to watch him. Zion is already probably getting. He's Zion's already getting votes for the MVP. <laughs> I'm sure of it. I'm sure that Zion's already getting votes. He's probably already in the race right he's going to be close in the race or not even the season this season hasn't even started yet he'll be close right zion's different zion's not like lebron he's he doesn't have a a great story he is not the chosen one he's not you know the answer he's just zion he doesn't have to be anything else but zion because zion is already great as is great kid great he's a great person he's someone that you know, you would root for. My dad, for example, you know, never really watches the NBA, but he said that he would consider watching a few of Zion's games because of the way he played at Duke. Of the way that he the way that he carries himself. We watched the draft together and my dad was like, Wow, like, you know, that that's a kid. That's a kid that you wanna have on your team. A kid that is just enjoying the moment, is humble, right? And this is no knock on Ja Morant, but when ja Morant got drafted, it just maybe it was just because Zion was first and Jaw was second. But Ja didn't show the same the same kind of character that Zion showed, right? Jaw's a great player. He went to Murray State, great player. I have no doubt. About, I have no doubt he's gonna be a great player. But you know, Zion showed more of this character. It's great. Thank you so much. Humble. You know, he just wants to play basketball. He wants to play basketball, and he wants to watch Naruto with his mom. That's what he said. He said, I remember I watched you know, some Naruto with my mom once or twice, right? He's just a simple kid from North Carolina, right? Not North Carolina, South Carolina, I'm sorry. Zion's a kid. Zion's a freak, but he's just a kid, right? That's why Zion's a star. He might not think he's a star, but he's a star. If you can, if you can sign with Jordan... If you can get people to watch you on TV, if you can get your games televised on TV, you're a star. If people call you by one name and not your full name, you're a star. People people say LeBron, Kobe, you know, D Rose, Michael, Zion, Steph, KD, Kyrie, all these great players, right? Zion. You call him Zion. You don't call him Zion Williamson. Because if you just called him that, he'd be a regular player. Just like you call Ja Morant. Ja Morant. Right? He's just a regular old player. But the fact that people call him Zion, he's a star. He's a star. And he's going to win the rookie of the year. And he's going to... I predict... I'm going to predict right now. That he's gonna he's gonna dunk on someone, and it's gonna go viral and everyone's gonna be going crazy, right? I'm not I'm not sure who he's gonna dunk on, but he's gonna dunk on a star, a great player, and then people who doubted Zion, right, are gonna be like, well, you know, if he can dunk on this guy, I mean, I mean, I guess, like he he's a star in my opinion. He's a he's a great player, great kid. I have no question that he's gonna be a great player. People, There's no one I've ever heard who said Zion will be a bust. Because if you think that, you're just a hater. Zion no way will be a bust. I think Zion is a great player. He's a star. And this league is built around stars. So Zion also has Lonzo Ball, J.J. Redick, Brandon Ingram, Josh Hart on his team. And for, And you could argue that the Pelicans have two stars. They have Zion... And in my opinion, the second star is Lonzo, because Lonzo's a star because of all the other stuff he brings, his brand, right? Lonzo's got a brand. The Ball family had a brand. Lonzo and Zion are gonna be the, are gonna be a great two-man game to watch. Zion's a star. Thank you. He's a star. He's. I'm not, I'm not gonna say anymore. Zion is a star. That's that. So that just about does it for this podcast of the week uh thanks for tuning in thanks for listening uh like i said in the beginning dm me on twitter and instagram for any suggestions for the next podcast if you want to become a guest on the next podcast feel free to dm me on instagram or twitter or tweet me uh so yeah that's the end of the podcast thanks for listening guys and hope you have a good week go pats